Hey, Camp Kids. Welcome back to the Camp Kids podcast. I'm your host, Joe Bob, and I'm on a mission to bring together a community of camp people from all around the world. Whether you are currently in your camp career or it's been a while since you've been at camp, when you're with us, you're at home. In this week's episode, we dive back in with Katie about her camp experience with 4-H. During this interview, we discuss her Camp 75th alumni gathering along with other aspects of her past and current camp career. Katie talks about having to sit down with fellow team leaders and make changes to how they did their council circle, AKA their final campfire. Katie even shares her favorite 4-H camp song along with her other favorite camp stories. So without further ado, let's hear it from part two from Katie. Katie, thank you for coming back to the Camp Kids podcast. We're excited to have you back on as a part two to our conversation as before. The first question I have that's been on my burning soul is, how was your reunion? Tell us all about your camp alumni reunion. So it was amazing. You know, we talked about before the traditions of camp and generations of people in Delaware have sent their kids to 4-H camp. And it just really, it's almost like that connection, how in other cultures they really respect their ancestors and the things that they did before them. It kind of is that connection to like the people that came before you. It was just such a humbling experience. And I literally, I cried as I was leaving, driving down the pathway out of camp. I was in tears because I just, it's the place I feel the most authentic. How often do you say that these alumni events happen? They happen every five years. The first time we ever had one, it was my understanding that they used to have them all the time. And then there was a period of time where they stopped having them. And so I think it was my first or second year on staff there that they decided to have one. And I want to say that was the 60th maybe or something along those lines, 60th. 55th. I'm not sure. I can't exactly remember. So I went to that one. I went to one five years later. And then I didn't go back until actually the 70th, five years ago. And then this year I was asked to be on the committee. My brother also works for 4-H in Delaware and he was on the committee and he said, he sent a group message to my siblings. There's collectively four of us um, and said, Hey, what other sibling wants to be on the committee and no one else said anything. So I said, well, I guess um, I'll volunteers tribute. So I did, and I work in 4-H. So I kind of know the program, whereas my other two siblings, they don't work in it, but they understand it, but they had a lot of other things going on. And I was kind of like, I'll just do this. And it was great. I loved it. Everything about it. All four of you went to the same camp, loved the same camp. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. Yes. So I'm not sure if I said this before, but my mom and dad met at 4-H camp. Yes. I think you had briefly mentioned that. Yes. So they met at camp and all four of us have been at camp. Me and my sister, we went to camp as campers together. And then I was on staff when my brother and my youngest sister joined because there's 11 years between me and my youngest sister. And you said that your brother also works for the Delaware 4-H as well? Yes, he does. I'm not exactly sure what his title 
is he's not an agent. He works for the state. So all of our numbers, we have to report our enrollment numbers. We have to abide by civil rights laws. So all of that stuff has to be sent on so that we can continue to be funded for, I mean, it's been over a hundred years. We celebrated our centennial in 2002. So yeah, that's what he does. He's really the analytical guy, I guess, statistics. What is your role then on this alumni committee? So it was just planning. Um, There were, let's see, I think there was about six of us. Some of the people that were more local were in charge of getting things donated, like the food, doing the accommodations, because for the first time, they actually offered it as a weekend where if you wanted to spend the night, Saturday night, then you could. And there were a total of about 100 people, maybe a little over that, that came to the reunion And that's spanning decades. We're talking 50s all the way to current alumni, I guess. And about 35 that spent the night. So that was something new that they did. So there was those logistics that had to be taken care of. I did registration. So I sat at the registration table. When they came in, I gave them their badge. If they had a cabin assignment, I got to tell them where they were staying. My brother was sitting next to me taking the money because there was a cost. I was responsible for handing out their t-shirt. Everybody got a camp alumni t-shirt that had 75th anniversary on it. And also a cup that has our name and all of our group symbols on it. And then down on, there was some people from the foundation, our 4-H foundation, who were specifically asking, you know, for if you want to give camp scholarships or donations or anything to help the program, like here's a little section where you can do it. And then we also had a raffle at the end. We were raffling off a fire pit that had all of our camp symbols around it that had been like welded, like a CNC machine had cut it out and stuff. It was really neat. I did not win. I spent a lot of money for tickets, but I did not win. But Oh man. It sounds like it was an incredible weekend. Did you meet any new faces while you were out there? Not really. I knew a lot of the kids from my generation that came. Well, I knew all the kids that from my generation that came. There were some of the, what I would call younger, just younger than me, I guess, who were now adults, but they were campers when I was on staff. So I got to see them again. And then there were some older generation that I knew just because I had been a camper when, you know, their kids had gone to camp. So I knew their kids. And I mean, there were a few I didn't know, just people that came maybe in like the 50s and stuff like that. I don't don't particularly know a lot of those people. There was actually um, one lady there, and this is just incredible. There was one lady there who, her husband was actually one of the guys that helped to bring 4-H camp to Delaware from West Virginia. And he passed away several years ago, but his wife was there. She's 94 years old. She sat around our council circle as we were, you know, doing all of the things that we do. And my sister was actually sitting next to her and we started to sing one of the songs that he brought, which was Edelweiss. We always sing that at council circle. And she looked over and the lady was in tears and she overheard the lady say to our program director, that was my husband's favorite song. Thank you so much for singing it. And it was just, and I didn't know that story until the day after when we were, you know, just kind of debriefing on what happened at at the reunion. And I just like, my heart just stopped for a minute. Like how amazing that she has this connection that her husband instilled into all these people now from 1948 all the way till current and just incredible. Wow. 
That is so incredible. Were there any current staff at the reunion as well? Yes, actually. So they serve as our, what we call our Bigfoot group. Those are always the counselors. And so they actually got to be the ones that were there on staff leading, leading songs, getting to be part of their group. So yes, there were, I think um, they said only two people on staff weren't able to join because they had already returned back to college and went to college out of state. Wow, that is pretty incredible. I want to say they were 15 on staff this year. And I think two, those were the only two. So you had, you know, 13 staff members that came back. One actually flew in from Oklahoma just for the weekend to come be on staff again. So it was pretty amazing. How did they find out about this camp in Oklahoma? She's from Delaware. She just goes to college in Oklahoma. And so she hadn't planned, I guess, on coming. But then they were like, hey, we really want you to come if you're a staff member. And so she just made it work and she came. That speaks a lot about your program. That speaks a lot about just how you fill up your current staff to make them to where they want to hop on a plane and go out and have more more of that camp experience in the summer. That's really incredible. Yeah, it's just generational. I mean, it's hard to understand it when it's it's so deeply rooted in people's families. It was a lot of fun. I got to serve as one of the leaders because you got to, since it was a reunion, you know, you don't get selected so much with the leadership roles like you do at camp, but the people in your group got got to nominate you. And so I got nominated to serve as one of the, the leaders during our camp session. So that was pretty neat. I wasn't expecting to be asked to do that, but it was neat. And my mom also got to serve. So we got to serve together. We're both in the same group. So we got to serve together, which would have never happened in like real life scenarios, but for the reunion, it got to happen and it was kind of magical. Oh, that is wonderful. So then you got to go camping then your whole family, my whole family. Oh my gosh. That's so exciting will not stay in a cabin even overnight. So it's very hard for me to imagine like having that connection with my family as well. That would be very strong. Absolutely. I love that you guys were able to have that experience. Do you all have camp names at your camp? So not traditionally are there camp names. However, so I told you I have three siblings. We all start with the letter K and my maiden name is Scott. So when I first got to camp, it usually would just be like K Scott. But then when all of us were at camp together, we were all K Scott. So then that kind of threw that out the window. So collectively, when we were all four at camp together, we kind of just got known as the Scott siblings. Hey, here comes the Scott siblings. <laughs> what are the Scott siblings doing now? Like that's kind of how that happened at camp. Now at my current camp, we don't really do any of that either. There is one guy there that has a camp name. He's our wildlife guy and his name's Brian, but we call him crazy critter guy. And he's (laughs) always been that. But now that I'm married and my last name is Kimbrough, it's like really alliterative. And so for whatever reason, my colleagues now just call me Katie Kimbrough, but like as one word, no break in the middle, like, (sighs) Hey, Katie Kimbrough. (laughs) So I guess if that's as close to a camp name or just a in life general name now, is I just get called by my first and last name collectively together. With the 4-H organization, is there such thing as a camping network? Or are there 
things specifically for 4-H camp for you guys to be involved with so that you guys can collaborate and share ideas or just know what's going on across the country? Yes. In our states, we all have extension agent, like professional associations. So in Tennessee, mine is called TAE4HW, which just stands for Tennessee Association of Extension 4-H Workers. That's our state association. Now on the national level, we have NAE4HYDP, which is National Association of Extension 4-H Youth Development Professionals. And on those levels, there are different committees that you can serve on. And it's anything from diversity to policy, bylaws, and then there's one for camping and environmental education. And I actually do serve on the programs committee in my state. And then at the national level, I'm not super active just because I haven't really gotten to go to a national event in a long time. But um, under the programs like umbrella, there are different committees and camping I've chosen to be a part of just because I feel like that's where my heart is. And also mental health is the other one that I kind of follow. Wow, that's really incredible. I love that it's broken up like that in your organization. And you're able to have these constant communications and conversations with people who do the exact same thing or very similar to you, just maybe in a different part of the country. My next question for you is, who are some people from your camp experience that have inspired you and how have they done that? There's probably a bunch, but I'm just going to tell you about one person and his name is Mike. He was the, what we called at the time, the big chief, the program director during my years as a camper. And then on his staff, I think my first year, maybe my second year of being on staff. Mike is a great storyteller. He is a public speaker in real life. Like that's his job. But he always just made you feel warm and welcome. And he always made you believe in the magic that camp brings. But the thing that he did the best, and this could be probably a whole separate podcast, but he was the one who was tasked with beautifully, I might add, facilitating a really tough decision that our 4-H program had to make back in 2002. So not sure where the Girl Scouts fell with this, but in 2002, there were 4-H camping programs across the country that came under fire and lawsuits were threatened for some of the use of Native American themes and imagery at our camps. Now, a lot of the camps spawned from one big camp, which was West Virginia, and that was started through, I think, some Boy Scouting tradition, some of the woodcraft ideals. And when this happened, I guess West Virginia fought the lawsuit and won, but Delaware decided we don't want a lawsuit on our hands. So what we're going to do is we are going to gather Mike, who was the director at the time, with the guidance of our state 4-H camping specialist and the state 4-H program leader. And he took eight teens who were returning leadership campers. They were going to go the next year and become the leaders of their group. And since there were two weeks of camp, that was eight people. I was one of those that year. And, you know, Mike could have very well sat down and because he was the director, been like, this is how we're going to do it. This is what we need to do to move forward. And he did not do that. He gathered all of us. He sat us down. 
And he let us mold the way that we wanted the camp to look like and how we wanted to change these Native American traditions to what it is now. Now, I know probably people listening to this will think, oh, well, you absolutely should change them. That's cultural appropriation. But at the time, not only was it a big deal because we were changing 54 years of traditions with like no handbook, but we were teens. So we didn't really have a real understanding that what we were doing was wrong because we had, that's all we had known. We had come to camp as 10 year olds and that's all we knew. So he didn't say no to anything. He was a listening ear. He was a guiding force. He took all of our suggestions and we changed those traditions to what they still use today. And it's been 21 years. So there are campers that they only know of the old traditions because of things like we had this weekend where we had campers that came in the fifties. So we blended them for this weekend just to show older campers, Hey, this is what you might remember, but here's what we do now. And headdresses and regalia, the name change, none of that matters because the spirit is still alive and it's well, and it's been going on for 75 years and it's the future's bright. So he would be one that really inspired me. I was a shy, like 15 year old when I was called in to do this, I had no clue, but as an adult, I feel blessed. I feel humbled and honored that I got to be a very small part of a huge undertaking of a change that we had to do and grateful to still see those traditions alive and well. I really appreciate you bringing that up and sharing that with us. So I want to make sure I understand this correctly. You said you haven't made, you haven't had to make any changes since 2022. So you guys have successfully, when you changed it in 2022 as a bunch of teenagers, you even were thinking of things that have come up into light within the last five to 10 years. And you guys have still been able to carry on those traditions. Is that correct? Oh, well, no, not 2020, not 2022, 2002. Oh, very cool. 2002. Yeah. So these weren't even cultural appropriation. Wasn't even like a, I mean, I guess it was a thing. That's not really what I mean, but it wasn't, wasn't it wasn't really talked about. It wasn't in the news. We weren't seeing, you know, baseball teams and football teams changing their names back then. So we kind of were doing like the things that now people are doing because of it way before it's time. We like almost nipped it in the bud before it became anything because now it's been 21 years and the things that we do now the way that we changed the traditions were we really sat down and looked at okay what is the most important things about camp we're divided into tribes at the time well tribes are just groups of people so tribes the name tribe became people group we had native american tribe names so there were four tribes seneca delaware cherokee and susquehanna those just got changed to those symbols So like Susquehanna were the bears, the Seneca were the turtles, Delaware were the Thunderbirds, and the Cherokee were the moon and stars. So now instead of you being a Susky bear, you're just one of the bear people, one of the turtle people, one of the moon and star people. We don't call the program director the big chief anymore. It's called the one voice. They're the voice that is over the camp. Your leaders are not called chiefs and sagamores anymore. They're called voices and echoes. So we really took things that we thought could have been 
construed as offensive to anyone that was Native American and changed it. And now it feels to me, and I know this is not an opinion that's shared by some older campers, you know, those that saw the traditions all the way through, but I've seen both traditions. I was part of one. I got to be the very last Sagamore and the very first voice. So I got to see both traditions equally in my camp years. I got to spend as many years with the old traditions as I did with the new. And it's just incredible. Like it's so much more tied to all of the things that 4-H is about using our head, our hands, our heart, and our health. It's connected to the earth and the elements. And it's just better in my opinion. And I know that some people don't share that, but that's fine. That's their opinion. Oh my gosh. I love everything that you're talking about. This is a very needed topic to talk about in the camping community. And I applaud you guys for being really on the forefront of all of this. I can only speak to my experience in the areas of where I participated with my organization, but this conversation really wasn't had in my area until very recently. So not to say that that is for the organization as a whole. However, for my area, things really didn't start changing until about the turn of the decade, mm-hmm. to be to be frank. I did come from a camp who was not Native American-based at all. Our traditions were very pioneer-based because we had a homestead from the 1800s that was on our camp. So everything mm-hmm. was lore behind that. The Girl Scouts went through a very big merge in the 2006-2010 time frame. Ours happened in 2008. And that's when it came to light that, like, other organizations did that sort of thing. Right. And so they just wouldn't. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. That's just so interesting you brought that up. Because, yeah, I bet you guys were probably one of the first camps, if not the first, to be able to sit down and make those changes. It was a big part of my camp experience. To kind of go on to some more other camp questions here, my my next one is kind of a big hitting question, and it is, what is the most important lesson that you've learned from your camp experience? So there's a lot of lessons, right? We learn all kinds of skills. It's what I wrote my master's thesis on, how we learn the skills and we apply them in real life to our real life jobs. But I think lately, the thing that I've learned maybe as an adult, I knew this as a staff member, we were always told camp is for campers. And the reason that they come to camp is to have like the best week ever, the best two weeks or whatever it is. And that that should be like the forefront of your goals for camp. It's vital. I mean, you know, you look at the reasons why and the most important parts of camp is in order, safety, health, education, and fun. But also, I think now it's really important and also okay to walk away, to take a brain break during the day. Because camp can be really mentally tasking. You know, you are up at the crack of dawn and sometimes, like, especially if you're on night watch, you might not go to bed till 2 a.m. Um, something that we did this year at our 4-H camps here in Tennessee, and it still is a work in progress, but we had a sensory room 
And I know campers used it. I had teens that used it. I used it for sure. But I guess the takeaway message from all of that is when you're at camp, you have to breathe, release it, and then go make a difference. Because even those kids matter, you also matter. You can't do what you do if you're down, if you are having any issues going on. Like, you can't be there for the kids if you aren't taking care of yourself. Oh, absolutely. I love that you all have a sensory room. Oh, that makes me so happy. As an educator, I mean, we utilize those. And I'm starting to hear of more now mental health taking a lot more precedent in the camping community with having a social worker or having a counselor on staff or even having like a behavior interventionalist for kids who need more of that one-on-one connection to be able to work through some of that stuff at camp. So that, that makes me really happy that you guys are already implementing some of that stuff. I have to ask, what is your master's in? So my master's is in agricultural leadership, education, and communication from the university of Tennessee. Nice. Very cool. Very cool. I love that. Oh, gosh, there was another question I was going to ask. And of course, I didn't write it down. So I don't remember. Um, But oh, I was going to comment. That's right. I, I also think it's important for people to know too, that it is okay. If you're not mentally well, as well, like if you have been doing summer camp, for summer after summer after summer, especially those who spend eight, nine, 10 weeks of a year out doing resident camp full time, that it's okay to take a summer or two off as well. And that's not talked a lot about in the camping industry, in the camping world. Right. And mostly I understand it to be because it's so hard to get back in after your young adulthood. Yes. And the whole purpose of like my podcast and everything that I'm trying to do is to show individuals that your camp experience doesn't have to stop after you graduate college. Like there are so many ways to be involved in camp and it is completely okay and healthy to take some time away from resident camp. I had a very big mental health crisis during my last full summer resident camp experience and had a lot of guilt of returning back into the camp world. But I took the time that I needed to have off and now I am mentally well and love being a part of this community, making my own space in it. And I wish a lot more people would realize that the camping community can benefit from you, even if you only spend a week or a few days of the year in the camping community and taking the breaks that you need as well. I mean, not everybody can do eight weeks of get up before the sun gets up, go to bed when the sun goes down with these kids as a cabin counselor. That's just not feasible for everybody. But there is room for people to be able to do what you need to do and for you to be able to take the break that you need. And that might look different than the other person next to you. And that's okay. Oh, I agree. You have value too. And even though a person might not spend eight or nine weeks, you just never know who you're making a difference to. You could have spent one week or one day even with a person and change that person's life. You just sometimes never know. Like I was reminded of that this weekend at the alumni reunion when our program director told the starfish story. And I was like, yes, that's part of this. Like, it doesn't matter if you were on staff one year 
five years, whatever, you made a difference to someone. Absolutely. And a huge difference, a positive difference, like the most impact that you can think of. I think summer camp makes a greater impact on youth's life than even what I do every day in my classroom because it's so unique in such a different environment than everybody's used to. But yes, I have to ask, what is the starfish story? Oh, okay. So this is not verbatim and it's kind of a little bit longer, so I'll shorten it. But basically it's, there was a man walking on the beach and out in the distance, he saw a little boy and the little boy was also walking along the beach and he was picking up starfish and he was throwing the starfish back into the ocean. And so the man sat there and observed for a while and watched as this boy went and picked up all these starfish and threw them back into the ocean. Now there were thousands of starfish that were on the beach that day. And so the man walks over to the little boy and says, little boy, what are you doing? He said, I'm throwing starfish back into the ocean. And so the old man says to the little boy, there's so many starfish. There's no way that you can get all of these starfish and make a difference. And the little boy picks up a starfish, throws it back into the ocean and says, I made a difference for that one. Wow. That's beautiful. It's awesome. I love. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Yeah, I got to touch a starfish for the first time. Oh, and I was out in Washington because they have a tank. And they just so happened to have a starfish that was beached on the beach. And so they had one in the touch tank. I get that reference now being from the Midwest. (laughs) Yeah. Never being by ocean. Yeah. So, well, I kind of want to pivot a little bit here and talk about something a little bit lighthearted, but I would love to hear your funniest camp story. Okay. I have two quick ones. Awesome. Okay. So. Let me preface this first one with it was definitely not funny at the time, but now I can look back on it and I laugh. So um, it was my sister's first year at camp, my baby sister. She's, she's actually about to get married, but she was 10 years old at the time. It was my last year on staff. And that year, me and my best friend, we taught a food science class and she had signed up to take the class. And I believe it was the last day. It's always Friday is the last day where we have our classes. And we were making kebabs that day. And so we're teaching the class. We're helping the kids put all the fixins on their skewers. And then they would bring them to us. And we would oversee and help them to grill them. So my sister had just gotten her kebab all cooked and was eating it and started choking on a piece of the kebab steak. And so, like, I've been certified in first aid and CPR, like, every year since I was 12. And other than like little cuts and bruises and things, I have never, ever had to use anything serious for first aid. This was the very first time that I have ever had to, and also the last time that I've had to perform the Heimlich maneuver on a camper, my own sister. And so a couple of weekends ago, my sister, we went down to Nashville. We did like bachelorette weekend and we went out to this restaurant and she was about to order these kebabs. And I was like, um... You have a bad history with those. I don't really feel like saving you again. And we just laughed. It was hilarious. Um, So that was one story. Like I I literally to this day have never had to use CPR first aid other than like little things. Like never had to use the Heimlich again or anything like that. The other one happened this past summer at our 4-H camp. 
I took a girl to camp and she'd been coming for a couple years. She was a, a repeat camper and she came to me after lunch. Her wire on her braces had like broken and we go to camp about an hour and 45 minutes from where they all live, like in the county that I work in. So I go to the nurse first and I'm like, hey, I have this kid, you know, wire. And the nurse is like, I'm not doing anything about this. I was like, okay. So I call mom and mom's like, well, I could come get her. And like daughter's like, no, like, I don't need you to come down here. Like I can just put wax on it, but we got to cut it. And so long story short, um, I can now add orthodontics to my resume because I got with the maintenance director and found a pair of wire cutters. He disinfected them for me and I performed wire removal services on braces this year. Oh my gosh. And <laughs> after it was all done, I dropped the wire cutters. I dropped to my knees and literally just cried in like thankfulness that I did not hurt this child. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. Oh yeah. <laughs> scary. Very, very scary. scary. Yeah. But my gosh, I bet your adrenaline was pumping though. So hard though. Too. Oh my gosh. Were... My hands were shaking. Like I get up to like right to where her wire is and like hadn't even touched you yet. And she's switching. I'm like, sweetheart, I haven't even touched you yet. <laughs> like oh you're going to have to calm down. So I called her friend. I was like, please come hold her hand. I was like, close your eyes. We're going to do this together. We're going to get through this together. Mom was very thankful that she didn't have to drive and go take her to the, the her orthodontist and then come back and bring her back. So mm-hmm. all was well. And she made it through. I mean, she was going to stay at camp in pain because she loved camp that much. Like she oh. didn't want her mom to come pick her up and take her anywhere. So thankfully now, I mean, I guess I can just go to orthodontist school now. <laughs> I got that in my back pocket. That's right. There you go. I mean, if the 4-H thing never work, doesn't work out. That's right. Probably make a lot of money doing it too. So yeah, <laughs> I'm going to kind of move into my fast final campy questions here. They're okay. very sentimental. My mm-hmm. first one is what is your favorite camp song? Well, as a song leader, I have a blue million of them that are my oh, favorite. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I think the one that really resonates with me and probably is the best example of 4-H camp is a song called The H is 4. Since you have been a song leader, mm-hmm. I would love if you would be willing to sing a little bit of it for us on the podcast. That would be wonderful. Well, it's a it's kind of a short song. I could sing it. Awesome. If, okay. I've never sang on a podcast. Here we go. <laughs> All right. So it's H's four. So just a little brief introduction to this, I guess. Um, kind of like the Girl Scouts have on my honor as they're saying that they do. We have a, the 4-H pledge, which is we pledge our head, heart, hands, and health. And so this camp song goes along with those ideals. So this is how it goes. I pledge my head to clearer thought that in this life I face. I'll make my home, my country, and my world a better place. I pledge my heart to loyalty that I may surely be a champion of justice for all humanity. 
I pledge my hands to service that I may always try to give my courage and my strength to those with less than I. I pledge my health to living a life in which I dare to reach out for my brother's hand to love and hope and care. I take my stand, I make my pledge, and each day it means more. And from now on through all my life, I'll pledge the H's for. Wow, that was so beautiful. Thank you Thank so you. much for sharing that with us. Oh, you're welcome. Oh, I love it. And it's in a minor key and it's just, oh, I love those types of campy folk songs. Those are wonderful. Thank you so much. My next question for you is, what is your favorite camp meal? Okay, so at my home camp, it was always Friday night dinner because on Friday night din dinner, you would dress up really nice. You could either go with friends or you could ask a little date. You know, that was kind of the fun part of it. But the meal was turkey, dressing, mashed potatoes and green beans with gravy. It was the best. Mm. But now at Camp Ridley, where I go for 4-H camp now as a 4-H agent, definitely the chicken tenders and mashed potatoes with gravy that was like our sunday night meal yeah <laughs> that was like the first night so oh I that is that. that's our monday night meal which is our first one there is the yeah. the chicken tenders nice oh i love that what is your favorite camp tradition all right well i have two one is from my home camp it's our high council i've briefly touched on it a little bit but our high council is the last council circle of the week. It's very solemn and revered. And so our ceremony has the leaders all dressed up in 4-H regalia. Our groups make wishes for the year to come. And then we have, says kind of like the great spirit of 4-H can't please see that these wishes come true. And we throw them in the fire. And then, you know, it's kind of a symbolic releasing the wishes into the universe of the people. But at the end, they name four campers to receive what we call the H's. So each camper represents one of those four ideals of 4-H. So head, heart, hands, and health. And then they name a spirit, which is the camper who encompasses all of those ideals together. And each H recipient lights a candle from the fire. They turn around and all of the other campers have small candles, like birthday candles. And they light them. And then they leave the fire, walk to the waterfront, and they set their candles in a canoe and then they're pushed out onto the water there's a secret with that which i'm not going to reveal it's part of the magic of camp but once you see the canoe pass the council circle then the counselors leave and line the sides of the pathway that leads down to council circle and they light the path for the campers who then walk to the cabin area where there is a 4-h clover sprinkled on the ground they use flour and they just sprinkle the shape and they have the h's in the middle the people that have received the H's and the spirit stand in the middle of those clover leaves as the campers are coming towards them. And then we have a camp presentation. We have this bathhouse at the wall where they project all the pictures from the week and they have impactful songs singing. We sing all the slow songs like linger, make new friends, pass it on, tell me why. Lots of happy tears for another awesome year. And then it doesn't just end there because the spirit from that year's camp comes to next year's camp with ashes that they collected to reignite the flame for the current year. And so that's been done for 75 years. So it's kind of cool that we have all these years of 
the fire being reignited from year to year to year. There's a connection of, you know, 2023's camp back to 1948's camp. So that's one of the traditions. The second one, and if I get a little teary-eyed on this, I apologize. Second one doesn't happen at camp, but it is camp adjacent. So I told you earlier about my mom and dad meeting at 4-H camp. And this tradition started about seven years ago. But when I was 12 and my siblings were 10, 3, and just barely 1, my dad passed away in a car accident. I'm so sorry. Thank you. So he was a camper. He was also on staff. And obviously mom and dad met at camp. He loved camp. He loved teaching archery at camp. Um, But as adults, my siblings and I wanted to honor my dad in a way that we thought would be the best way possible. And so we actually created the George Scott Memorial Scholarship for Delaware 4-H State Camp. So we provide a full scholarship to a deserving 4-H member who gets to attend camp. They fill out an application. We sit down over Zoom. We go over the applications together and we select somebody who answers the questions the best is, you know, if there's a need there, you know, needs based. The cool thing about this past year is my mom actually called me and said that she really wanted to help provide another second full scholarship. So this year we were able to send two deserving kids to 4-H camp. It's become the most important tradition to our family to just allow others to have the experiences that we all had because of camp. Oh my gosh. That's, oh, that's so wonderful. You're in- you're honoring your father and you're ensuring that others are going to be able to have that same experience that you all have had. That's just so wonderful. Thank you for doing that for your community. If people were interested in helping, would you accept that kind of financial help as well to go towards the scholarship? I mean, absolutely. We do have our Delaware 4-H foundation. So our money actually goes to the foundation. They then give that money to the selected recipient. Very cool. My next question is, what is your favorite program area? So as a staff member, I really enjoyed at my home camp teaching like camp traditions, history and songs. So like we have several songs that we sing every night at camp that are very involved with whatever group you're in. Like each group has a different role in that, a different part. I mean, I loved doing that at the time, but now as a person who gets to go to camp, I get to kind of see other people do program areas because I'm just on the planning side. And also our camp's not really a singing camp, which is, it's depressing. (laughs) But I think my favorite program to see is a newer one that they've implemented. It is a grant that the camp gets through a healthcare company and they just call it Healthy Living. And the program teaches healthy lifestyles in the areas of mental health, nutrition, fitness. And this year, one of the programs that they did as a part of Healthy Living was they invited a local resource in called Cowboy Up, which is a suicide prevention and awareness program. And they bring like a message of hope through their activities that they do. Wow, that's wonderful. Yeah, it was amazing to see um, some of the campers. You could tell, you know, when you go to camp, especially when you're only there for a week, it does take a minute to get to know the kids. But when you see kids that have been going for a couple years, you get to know the things, you know, the things that to talk about. 
so I really think that this program is important and it's needed. Absolutely. You said it was called Cowboy Up? Yes. Well, I'm wanting this podcast to go on for a very long time, so I ask all my guests, who should I interview next? Well, I don't really know anyone in particular, but what I would say to you is that if you maybe wanted to get another side of 4-H, reaching out to a local agent in your area, maybe in your county to see like who the 4-H agent is there and what their camp is like, or, you know, the roots of 4-H camp began in West Virginia. So maybe even seeing if you could connect with like their camping specialists, if they would sit down and talk. Um, I would argue, I mean, obviously I'm very tried and true to my camp, my home camp, but if I had to name two camp 4-H camp programs across the country that were just outstanding, it's West Virginia and Georgia. They're 4-H center Rock Eagle. So Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. I will definitely be looking into both of those to see if they'd be willing to sit down and talk. That'd be awesome. Is there anything exciting that's happening in your life that you'd like to promote for our listeners? Not anything camp related, I guess. You know, I'm a 4-H agent, so camp is only a very small part of what I do now. It is getting ready to be September. So that means we're getting ready to start 4-H club meetings. And, you know, now I get to go in and promote camp throughout the year to these kids and hopefully recruit a few. So we have our date set for 2024. We'll begin planning in March and we go to camp in June. So that's exciting. It's down on the list kind of right now, but it'll be making its way up the closer and closer we get, you know, to the new year. Awesome. That's wonderful. Well, if people have questions for you or want to contact you, what's the best way that they can do that? Well, I'm on Instagram. My handle is just Katie Kimbrough, like J-U-S-T and then my name. I'm, I am on Facebook because, I mean, I'm, I'm old. Facebook started like after I already graduated from college. Um, <laughs> so I am on Facebook as just Katie Kimbrough. But also um, email works great, too. My email is katie.kimbrough14 at gmail.com. That would probably be the easiest way. I mean, on my Instagram, I kind of post pictures and I did just post a reel with all my pictures from this weekend and put some fun music behind it too. That's cool. I'll have to check that out. That's awesome. That's all the questions that I have for you. Were there any final questions, comments, or thoughts that you wanted to share while you're on the Camp Kids podcast? I mean, just thank you for what you're doing. I mean, I literally just stumbled upon your podcast I honestly don't even know what I was looking for but it just I guess was meant to be to like stumble over it but I just really wanted to say that you know I think that's something that can definitely be learned from all of these podcast episodes that no matter what method or organization delivers camp I think the end goal is the same and it doesn't have to be this or that if you if you know what I mean you know I talk to parents who say like oh, well, my child can't do 4-H because they do, you know, fill in the blank organization, Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, American Heritage Girls, whatever it is. And I'm always just like, look, we are all youth development. We can work in tandem together because we have the same goals. You know, as an agent, I'm equipped with a lot of different resources that can help those organizations in their achievements, in their earning their badges or, you know, doing program areas to help them to reach whatever it is that they're trying to reach. I mean, I teach citizenship, financial literacy, STEM, entrepreneurship. I mean, the list just goes on and on. 
And I just think that there is a lot of great youth development that could change the future of our youth going forward if we looked at it from a lens of collaboration between organizations. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad that you said that. I 100% agree. We're all in this together and there's no reason why we shouldn't be collaborating. And maybe camp is the way that we go about that. Maybe is the first steps for that is being able to collaborate on the outdoor side of things and then hopefully maybe make its way to everything else. Because you're right. There's no need to be competitive or to be selective when it comes to youth development. So I mean, so much. all youth development, you know, we, we all want our kids to become the best versions of themselves and whichever way we do that. I mean, there's not a right or wrong way. Absolutely. Well, Katie, thank you so much for being on the Camp Kids podcast, for coming back for a second interview. I deeply appreciate your time and for you sharing your experiences and for answering all of my questions that I had about 4-H and everything. I deeply appreciated this conversation that we've had, and I know that our listeners will as well. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I'm glad that I could open up your world to a little bit of 4-H. All right, Camp Kids, that was Katie. Make sure to contact them if you have any questions and to check out all the links in the show notes. If you are enjoying the podcast, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Let's keep our Camp Kids community growing by spreading it to others who are also a part of the camp community. Please leave us a rating or review, preferably a five-star rating so that others can find our podcast. Next week, we'll have another interview with one of my friends who comes from Philmont Scout Ranch. That's all that I have for you for now, but remember that this is good night and not goodbye.